Well, as you guys know, Joshua is a foreshadowing of the New Testament when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. The word Joshua and Jesus, those two names are synonymous. And so the Old Testament picture of getting saved and walking in the fullness of the Lord, delivered from our past Egyptian bondage sinful experience, and then crossing over the Jordan River after a certain season of wandering around and receiving a new power, a new purpose, a new filling a new intention for what the Lord has for you. And in that, it would make sense that everything would be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. But instead, we found that Joshua 1 all the way through chapter 20 has been one battle after another because hence is life and so is the case with Christianity and so is the case with giving your life to Jesus. As soon as you're saved, he says, now that you're saved, it's time to serve. Sometimes we don't want to get saved and serve. Sometimes we want to get saved and we want to sit soaking sour. But he says, no, don't sit soaking sour get saved and sit and soak and serve. And in that comes battles and in that comes trials and difficulties. And now check this out though, as we've been in the promised land and the land has been divided to all the tribes and Judah got their portion and Simeon got their portion and Gad and Manasseh and Ephraim and Naphtali and Issachar. And we learned all these names last week and it was kind of a cool study about Issachar and Asher and all these lands. And now it's all done, and Joshua finally last week got his land because the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And Joshua came to serve and not be served and give his life a ransom for many. And all that's happening. And now in chapter 20, we see all the division and all the dispersions happened. And I find the next three chapters, I just want you guys to zoom in and from an aerial view, take these three chapters in succession with me because I believe there's a divine lesson for each and every one of us who are Christians who are in the promised land, who are now saved by grace and living on mission for him, filled with his spirit. How many of you guys think the very next thing that they should do in Israel at this time is to build a mega mall? Wouldn't they just a mega mall? I lived in Minnesota for a season and they began construction on the mega malls, the biggest mall in all of America, you know, and all this, had every three or four stories and a Legoland and, you know, roller coasters inside. How many of you guys think that now we're there, let's build a Legoland? Here's the deal. They're not going to build a Legoland next or even a Walmart supercenter. These guys are going to build cities of refuge, listen, for people who accidentally kill people now that they're in the promised land. Chapter 20 goes into eight verses of, hey, now that we're in the promised land, you know what we should do? Let's establish the safe cities for the people in our group that accidentally kill people, which begs the question, is that going to happen a lot? You know what I'm saying? Like, now that I'm a believer and I'm walking, am I going to, is there going to be a lot of accidental killings? Is that really what's needed? And as I think this through, I'm like, what in the actual world? Let's read it so you can get some context with me. All, all nine verses, let's read it together. It says, the Lord also spoke to Joshua saying, hey, speak to the children of Israel saying, appoint for yourselves cities of refuge which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into this city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And then at the avenger of blood, this is the one who's been a family member who remains the one who's going after this slayer, this blood shedder. If that person, if the avenger of blood pursues him, verse five, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand, 
because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but he did not hate him beforehand. This wasn't premeditated murder or first degree murder. It was unintentional. Verse six, and he shall dwell. This is the slayer, the one who has done wrong. He shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment. He's got to state his case. And until the death, in the, the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. That's the overall operations of these cities of refuge. Now the location, verses 7 through 9. So they appointed Kedesh in Galilee in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kerjath Arba, which is in Hebron, in the mountains of Judah. And on the other side of the Jordan, you guys remember there were two and a half tribes on one side of the Jordan and nine and a half tribes on the other side of the Jordan. And so in order to make this fair, they had three cities of refuge on one side of the Jordan, three cities of refuge on the other side of the Jordan. So it was an equal opportunity refuge city for any of these accidental manslayers. Oopsies, you know, I did something wrong. I got to go somewhere safe. Verse eight, and on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead, and from the tribe of Gad, and in Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the strangers, so not just the Israelites, but for everyone who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. Wow, wow, wow. Now that we're saved, now that we're unified, now that the enemies are all conquered, what do we do next? We better set up a, a, a system that we can deal with things internally and live with one another in case things go crazy, not with our enemies outside, but with our interpersonal relationships inside. Now, have you found this to be the case in your own life? As you become a believer, as you begin to conquer some of the things in the outside world, that the battles don't stop, they just change. The battles don't stop and go away from you, but you find yourself possibly interpersonally and with the relationships closest to you dealing with more trouble than you ever dealt with in the big, bad, crazy world out there. Let me use an illustration that might help you to help you see what I'm trying to pull out of the text here. I live in a cul-de-sac in Agate Beach, and in my cul-de-sac, I'm surrounded by neighbors, okay? We'll call them enemy neighbors. Just kidding, but they're, they're neighbors, but I really don't have any problems with my neighbors. We've got Ted and Hannah on my right and Brenda and Kelvin, and they're, they're great. And on my left is Travis. And then we've got Jocelyn and Aaron and Greg and Carolyn. They might even be here today. And then Dawn and Sharon and Farhad and Homa. And all my neighbors are there. You know what? These neighbors, they actually don't cause me a lot of problem or conflict. They just don't. But there's a few other people that I live real close to. Crystal. <laughs> and a guy named Noah. And another guy named Nemo and this one gal named Acacia and this horrible, sinful, rebellious dog named Kaya. And these are the people I live with in my house, my wife and my three kids and my dog. And these are the ones that I every single day have to find myself, man, we got to negotiate and we got to fix something. And I think I unintentionally wounded you or hurt you and something you did, you didn't think through the consequences of your actions. And now your actions are my problems. And now we have an issue and within this principle, the first thing they build is not a super center or a mega mall, but they build cities of refuge for when you accidentally, unintentionally hurt somebody. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been accidentally, unintentionally hurt by somebody? Raise your hand. Okay, most of you. Have you accidentally, unintentionally hurt somebody else? I have both 
been unintentionally, accidentally hurt by many people in my life. And I have also unintentionally, accidentally, not thinking through the repercussions of my actions in a moment of selfishness or rebellion where I think it can be isolated or contained. I do something that wasn't premeditated. I didn't mean it to hurt you, but that's not how it works. Because the wages of sin is death. And it's not just your death, but it's the death of the community. And when we do that, what do we do? And so in this beautiful picture of God's grace for us, now that we're saved, now that we're moving forward, God's to say, let's set up a system of reconciliation. Let's set up a system of forgiveness. Let's make sure that we can get through this. All the big bad battles of the Girgashites and the, the, the parasites and the flashlights and the websites and the Snow Whites, all those things out there, that's all done. But now we're gonna find ourselves with more problems moving forward. Now, here's the deal. Most of you would agree with this and you see this. You could even illustrate this in your own life. Best friends, marriages, coworkers, ministry partners. It always starts out pretty good. It might always start out downright amazing. And then after a little bit of road trips and living together and working together, eventually and unintentionally, you find yourself, I don't know if I like this person as much as I did before. I don't know if they understand me and I'm beginning to understand them and I don't know if I made the right decision. As a matter of fact, Paul Tripp, one of my favorite authors, he writes a book for married couples. And the title of his book for married couples is simply, What Did You Expect? <laughs> He'd been married for many years. And he's like, you know what? Man, for most people, this didn't end up the way they thought it was going to end up. What did you expect? And he helps them to understand the only way a marriage is going to move forward is with grace and redemption and with a re-understanding of priorities and an adjustment of purposes and with a commitment of values and to continue to grow in grace and knowledge with the people that you're in fellowship with. We understand this. We've learned this throughout the scriptures that God teaches this idea of reconciliation, this idea of difficulties in relationships. Jesus said it differently. In Luke 21, Jesus was teaching. And he looked at his disciples, and you can reference it later. It's Luke 21, 1 through 4. It's a very small passage of scripture. And I'll paraphrase it for you. Jesus looked at his disciples, and he says, hey, it is impossible that there should be no offense in life. You're going to be offended no matter what. You're going to be offended, and you're going to offend others. Most often, unintentionally. Every so often, intentionally. Those are darker days, harder days to get through. But most of us just don't think through the consequences of our actions when we make those poor decisions in a lapse of judgment, in a moment of rebellion, you fill in the blanks. And so Jesus says, hey, just so you guys know, it's impossible to be without offense. Therefore, and he gives us the fourfold way to navigate through relationships. Hopefully you've memorized this before. The fourfold way that Jesus gave us is number one, rebuke the person, which means to go to them directly, hold them accountable, Raise your hand and say, hey, when you said that, it hurt me in this way. Or when you did that, it looked this way. And to hold them accountable in love and to rebuke them. So often we're passive aggressive in this approach, aren't we? I'm not going to really talk to that person. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to talk to that person. That's how I'm going to do it. And we ice the people around us or we pull back and Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not going to work. You need to rebuke them in love. Go to them and, and, and turn on the lights and ask the questions. And as that person then is rebuked in love, they're supposed to repent in humility. And when you're called on the carpet and the things are exposed, Jesus said, the only way to get through this, rebuke the people, talk to them about it. And if you ever get talked to or rebuked by anybody, your best bet is to say, man, that is me standing in the need of prayer. Please forgive me. Ooh, 
And then the third thing that Jesus gave his instruction was after rebuking and repenting, listen, is to what? It starts with F and rhymes with or give. Forgive. forgive them. To forgive the person. So often we want to have a trial. We want to have an anniversary date about this offense and talk about it later and bring in some other people. And I understand the complexities of varying offenses. And yet Jesus says, no, no, you, you got to forgive. You got to forgive. Otherwise, this whole thing doesn't work. You got to rebuke, you got to repent, and you got to forgive. And then Jesus went on to use an illustration. He says, hey, just so you guys know I'm serious and so I'm crazy about this. He says, if a person comes into your house and offends you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. It's over. Now, if they come back to your house 45 minutes later and they do it again, I want you to once again rebuke them. And once again, if they repent, I want you to once again forgive them. Now, if they come back 90 minutes later and they do the same thing, oh, and they repent and you forgive them. I want you to repeat this seven times in one day. Now, you guys know that Jesus' disciples, their reaction was, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> Lord, I don't know if that's going to work. Lord, we need help with that. Let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand. Have you ever been on the receiving end of radical forgiveness? Has anybody ever forgiven you of something you've done wrong? Radically forgiven you? almost with a smile on their face, empathy. There might be some blood in the water. There might be some pain for sure because sin causes pain and blood. But when that person knows Jesus and that radical forgiveness, listen, that we've received. And Jesus said, you've been radically forgiven. Now go radically forgive others. That's the gospel. And when you forgive as you've been forgiven, oh, that's a revival in our hearts. That's healing. Now, in our minds, we question things. Well, I can't just forgive people that sin against me. That's reckless. It's irresponsible. They need to be held accountable. God says, oh, yeah, I got all that figured out. Nothing's going to go outside of my peer view. I understand everything. I will hold everyone accountable. Not only will I hold everyone accountable, but I also equally forgave everyone and paid for them through my blood. And when you grace people, sometimes we don't want to grace people because it's too hard and, and we want to stay in control. And yet the Bible says in Titus 2.11, it says that when God's grace gets poured out, that it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. That the more grace flows, the more forgiveness flows, the more I want to walk in the light even as he is in the light. Some would say, well, there's gonna be a temptation to abuse that grace. That's God's problem. And God will hold every man, every woman accountable. And what he asks us to do is to rebuke. Most of us, again, don't like confrontation and contentious moments and so we just kind of hope to trust the process and I hope this works its way out I hope I hope they get their act together and sometimes the Lord would say to you like he said in the book of Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 you who are spiritual and see people erring in their ways and getting weird in their actions you who love them with humility and love go rescue that man or woman Go speak to them. Go help them. And so this idea of reconciliation is from the Father's heart, and God wants us to be those who understand his heart so that way we can have his heart towards others. Now, again, I wish and hope I never hurt another person in my life, and I also wish and hurt, hope I will never get hurt in my life, but I predict, I, I can tell that it's not gonna go that way, and so God's given to us this portion of scripture. Let's just study it quickly. It says, the Lord also, verse one, spoke, this is chapter 20 still, back to the beginning, uh, spoke to Joshua saying, hey, speak to the children of Israel, saying, appoint for yourselves cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses. He had already told Moses years and years and years earlier that when they were established in the promised land, this was going to be a thing. Now that they're there, he follows up behind his word and does exactly what he declared and said he was going to do. 
This is God's way. Whatever God said he's gonna do, he's gonna do. He's gonna be faithful to fulfill the things that he has put in motion through his word. And so we see once again, God's faithfulness to do what he says. Look at verse three. That the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. The idea of refuge in our sins is seen throughout the scriptures. As a matter of fact, there's multiple places in the scripture where God calls himself our refuge, our high tower, a place where we can hide in our time of need. This is a foreshadowing of that. Look at verse four. It says, and when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And we see that after running to this place of refuge and confessing your situation to the elders of the city, you now have fellowship with them. Sometimes we wonder why our fellowship has been broken with others and why we're not living with them in that kind of unity and in that kind of intimacy. And we see here, when they get to the gate, they have to say what they've done. They have to be honest with who they are. And instantly they're brought in by God's grace and mercy. Have you experienced this before where maybe you confess a sin or confess a situation or a situation you're walking through with your spouse or with some friends? I'll tell you what, more often than not, in God's grace, walls come down and bridges are built when confession is made. I've been parts of accountability groups with other men and everyone's in there and everyone's saying, well, I'm doing okay, you know, I was kind of speeding to work this morning, that's my biggest problem, you know, and, and I was, you know, saw my dog and I kind of, you know, pushed him out of my way and all these like superficial confessions and then finally one guy will confess a real sin. I'll say, you know what, I'm struggling with this, that or the other thing and all the guys take a deep breath oh, and all of a sudden the walls come down and relationships are built and intimacy and honesty begins to flow. And other guys say, yeah, you know what? As a matter of fact, now that you mention it, my biggest problem isn't speeding just a little bit. I got some other issues. And here in verse four, when they get there, what are you doing here? I'm all messed up. I'm all messed up. I have issues and problems. And instantly, doors open. Fellowship, community, and healing. If you need fellowship and community and healing right now, it could be that you're not walking in that openness and honesty with some trusted people or maybe even with the Lord, which, by the way, is a core misunderstanding of the gospel of grace. When you truly know God's grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can be radically honest with who you are, what you've done, and what you need. Your willingness to confess, your willingness to move forward in your sin is a direct response to your understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may the gospel of Jesus Christ open us up and set us free because the whole world right now is walking around with baggage and bondage from sins committed. Every single person weighed down by their sins. And Jesus opens his arms up this wide. He says, I love you this much. Come unto me, all you who are labor, weary and labor and are heavy laden. Look at verse five. It says, then if the avenger of blood pursues him, this is the guy that would come after him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally and he did not hate him beforehand. Now, in these days, just so you guys know a little context of history, they didn't have cops. They didn't have FBI agents. They didn't have a judicial system that worked real well. And so it was common practice, even from the Bible, that if you killed one of my family members, it was my job legally to kill you. This was kind of the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth policy. And it was practiced in all of the nations and all the pagan nations and even the believing nations. This was the way it was. 
So it was up to me to make sure that justice prevailed. And so the avenger of blood, if my mom or dad or brother or sister had their lives taken, I had to take matters into my own hands. Now let me just stop right there, eyes up here, because sometimes you'll read the Old Testament and say, really? Wow, that's whack. Because the Old Testament is showing us many ways, seasons, dispensations, systems, and times that just fall short. They don't work. It's not going to do the job all pointing to and all leading up to Jesus Christ, the one who fixes all things, heals all things, and does all things well. And so while these stories are described, I would say it this way, they're also not prescribed, okay? This is not the exact way it should be, but it is described how it was back in the day before Jesus came on the scene. So we see that the slayer would not be released to the avenger of blood. Verse six, and he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation of judgment and until the death of the one who was high priest in those days, then the slayer shall return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. Stop right there, eyes up here. Final thoughts on this chapter. This person who unintentionally hurt somebody. Oh, I got bad news. I was cutting wood with my axe and my axe head fell off and OSHA wasn't there and I killed somebody or, or maybe there was a fight after work and you got kind of you know, rough and tumbly and threw a guy off a cliff on accident. I'm not sure what happened. Didn't go well though. Somebody died. And you run to this place and you plead your case and the counsel there hears your case and it wasn't premeditated. It wasn't murder for murder. It was, oh my gosh. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. Okay, we'll come in here and find mercy and grace. You've confessed. You have fellowship now. And there's this weird little policy which my wife and I were talking about last night which just trying to, doesn't make much sense to me, maybe to a, a Jew in those days, and maybe if you know the scriptures better than I do, oh yeah, when the high priest dies, everyone goes free. But in this case specifically, you're in this city of refuge until the high priest dies, until he just dies of natural death. He just, oh, you wake up one day and you read the, the newspaper that day and the high priest is dead. What? I've been here in the city of refuge. I've confessed my sins. I'm dealing with my issues. And now the high priest is dead and technically by the law, I can go free. I'm forgiven. I'm protected. Once I step out of the city of refuge, I'm not going to be avenged by the avenger of blood. I'm now free. And we would know that this is a picture, a foreshadowing of our high priest, Jesus Christ, who when we run to him and confess our sins and find fellowship and acceptance, that all of this is done because Jesus, our high priest, has died for us. All of it is a shadow. All of it points to Jesus. It's so beautiful in nature. And then these regions, verses 7, 8, and 9, are listed in Kadesh Barnea and Jericho and all these regions, six cities in totality, in order that, listen, anybody and everybody would have access freely. Did you know that none of these cities were prohibited from being accessed by everybody? As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy and some of the other Old Testament portions, it says that the roads and access points to these cities must be clearly marked and clearly maintained so that way the slayer can get there before he is slain. Isn't that merciful? There was no boundaries of water or mountains that would keep anybody. As a matter of fact, any one of these cities would be anywhere from 10 to 20 miles in any direction you could go. If you found yourself accidentally in a time of need, hopefully you're in shape, but you could run there before the avenger of blood caught up with you. Again, to me, this points to the gospel of Jesus. Come unto me, all you who are weary, all you who labor, all whosoever call upon the name of the Lord, I will in no wise cast out. 
That if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died and if you confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, you shall be saved. There is nothing limiting, nothing hindering anybody who has that simple declaration of faith in Jesus Christ that they might be saved. And all this is pictured in the Old Testament beautifully for you and for me. Not only was it easy to access and open to all, but check this out. There was no other option. No other option for the slayer of blood the one who'd blown it. He could keep running. He could keep hiding. This was the only option. And Jesus says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes through the Father except through me. Some would say, wow, your Christianity's super exclusive. Absolutely exclusive. Ain't nobody getting in except through Jesus. Well, that's rude. No, it's not. Because Jesus would then go on to say, anybody who wants to come in and everybody who wants to come in can come in through me. You just have to humble yourself. And you have to look at me as that doorway of hope. Not only was it open to all strangers and easy to access and there was no other option. Did you know that if you ever came out of the walls of the city of refuge, they could take your life at that moment? You had to stay inside. You had to stay in fellowship and in community and in safety there. So too, in your Christianity, as you walk with the Lord and fellowship with his people and receiving that forgiveness, okay, there is some stipulations that you've got to stay near to him. You've got to stay under the spout where the blessings come out. Now, I believe that if you've given your life to Jesus Christ and you're forgiven of your sins and you're born again, that all that is eternally secure and sealed. And yet we found ourselves, maybe you have done this too as a Christian, where you kind of sneak out the city every once in a while, sneak out the city gates. Man, don't do that. As a matter of fact, there's an Old Testament story. I can't remember who the slayer is, but he actually steps right outside the city gate and the avenger of blood is waiting for him and takes him out legally in that moment. Well, I don't think this is gonna happen to us eternally and spiritually. I've wandered from my faith in Jesus Christ before, not by way of confession, but by way of action. I thought, well, I'll just go over here a little bit. I'll just sneak out beyond enemy lines and I'll go out and see how that goes. And when you do that, you're going to pay the price. In order to stay safe, you had to stay in the city walls. We also see this picture of Jesus when the full freedom comes after the high priest is dead. And I would say that all of this is just a shadow of the unlimited gospel of Jesus Christ, that God has for us great things in him. For who? For you who've unintentionally hurt other people, for you who've made a mistake. As a matter of fact, let me just talk about the Old Testament again, because the Old Testament does pale. It does, it does not compare to the New Testament. They're just shadows. If I took you to New York City and you wanted to see the Statue of Liberty, and we were touring the Statue of Liberty, and, and I walked over to the shadow of the Statue of Liberty and said, there's the shadow. Isn't it amazing? And I just made you take pictures of the shadow and selfies with the shadow. And, you know, we, you know, we looked at, you would not want to look at the shadow. You would want to look at the real thing, Correct. So two Old Testament pictures are just shadows of the real thing, Jesus Christ. And so while this is a cool shadow, it does pale in comparison to the total victory we have in Jesus. This was only for unintentional sins, unintentional mistakes. Man, I, just, I lost control. I did not mean it. Did you know that Jesus Christ forgives your unintentional sins and offenses? But Jesus Christ, so much more powerful, also forgives your intentional sins sins and failures that he goes beyond the things that we didn't mean to do the oopsies of our life and he goes into the actual rebellious carnal sinful nature of our heart and he says i paid for that too i went to hell for you 
I went to hell in your place. I bore upon myself the sins of the world. This is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. These cities of refuge, oh, so glad they're there. Everyone in this community, everyone living in Israel, like, okay, I know where the cities of refuge are. I hope I never need to use them, but I might need to one day. But you and I who are believers, every single day we find our refuge in Jesus Christ, a greater than this portion of scripture. Guys, let's keep reading. You guys are doing great today. You're doing great. Let's go to verse, 20, uh, verse 1 of chapter 21. It says, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites, they came near to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' house of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh, this is their new gathering place, in the land of Canaan, saying, Hey, the Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. So the children of Israel gave to the Levites, everyone say the Levites. Okay, that's good enough, we'll take it. From their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord, these cities and their common lands. Now verses four through 42 are the listing of 48 cities given to the Levites. Everyone say the Levites. The Levites. This is the tribe of Levi. And now it's their turn to get their inheritance. All the other tribes had gotten their inheritance. Joshua was the last. And now this city of refuge is established. <coughs> and the Levites pipe up. And they say, hey, Joshua, hey, Eleazar, didn't Moses say we were going to get some cities too? Can we have our cities now? And he says, yeah, let's do just that. And 48 cities are chosen, listen, from all the tribes of the nation of Israel. See, the Levites were unique in nature. They were chosen previously to be servants of the Most High God, Aaron being the high priest in that time, and anybody who was from the tribe of Levi and of the family of Aaron would be part of that Levitical service. But anybody from the tribe of Levi altogether would be a priest in the house of the Lord throughout Israel. And so God said, hey, I'm going to bless you guys. You guys get no land at all. Number one, for two reasons. If you're a note taker, write this down because this is very important. For two reasons, the Levites got no land in and of themselves. Number one is because they were blessed. What's that? That doesn't sound like a blessing to me. Wouldn't it be a blessing to get land? Well, God says, you know what's going to be your blessing? Me. Your inheritance is me. It's serving me. You're not going to be inhibited by or hindered because of the land that you have to manage. I'm not going to bother you or busy you with these other big problems and issues with having land management and farming and all this production. So you're not going to have to tend the land in this way. You won't even actually get to own any land in this way because you get to serve me. And within that, there is a blessing that they would be wholly focused and dedicated to and available to the service of the Lord. And so what God said is not only are you going to have me as your inheritance, but the people that you serve around, guess what? They're going to provide for you homes and houses and lands and produce and increase, and they'll take care of you in what's called in this section the common lands. These areas within Simeon and within Issachar and within Dan and within Asher, all of these areas, you can just go there, and they're going to be assigned their lots. And so can you imagine a bunch of Levites showing up to Asher or Issachar or Naphtali and saying, hey, we're here to serve. Where can we live? And they say, oh, we got this little area right over here for you guys and this is how it's going to be dispersed because there's a blessing now within that by the way is i believe god's perfect desire perfect design to not have the service only happen at shiloh which it would or in jerusalem which it would eventually but to have god's guys and gals dispersed throughout the lands of the believers serving everywhere and serving everyone 
it's fun to come to church on Sundays. Isn't this fun? Everyone say it's fun. Please tell me it's fun. I'm having fun. It's fun to come to church on Sundays. But there's so many other people doing other things elsewhere. This is what our life groups are and our home groups and our discipleship groups and our small groups and the ways that God takes you who are also priests in the house of God and says, hey, let's gather on Sundays in Shiloh, in Jerusalem, at the tabernacle, at the house of meeting. But I think it's important you guys are out and about with the people as well. I think it's important that you take me as your inheritance and then you serve me everywhere you go. So I'm not gonna burden you, Levites, in this way that you might be blessed. Now, let me just go ahead and see if I can teach this well. There was a second reason why the Levites didn't get land. It was not just because they were blessed, but it was equally because they were cursed. You see, in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob was blessing his sons, prophesying over them, saying what Judah was going to get and what Benjamin was going to get and what Ephraim and Manasseh were going to get. And he gave blessings to all of his sons, but to two sons, he gave cursings. Do you remember the story? Simeon and Levi. Everyone say Levi. Levi. Simeon and Levi had committed a crime. They had committed a, a sin back in chapter 32 or 39 of the book of Genesis. And they took it upon themselves to avenge their blood of their sister. Their sister had been done dirty by some, some, some Issacharians and so, not Issacharians, no, Shemekamites, some other guys, some bad guys. So they took it upon themselves and they said, let's go get these guys. And so Simeon and Levi did this crime and it made Jacob mad and it made Jacob look bad. And so he cursed Simeon, and he cursed Levi, and he says, guys, you messed up big time. I'm going to read it to you. It's Genesis 49. I'll just read it. He says, Simeon and Levi are brothers, instruments of cruelty, and in their dwelling place, let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united in their assembly, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. Listen, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. It was fulfilled exactly as Jacob said. From God's peer view and from God's point of view, he said, I'm going to bless you by scattering you around. You're not going to have to be burdened by a day job and by these things. You just get to minister to the people and everyone else will take care of you. Levites, that's how this design is supposed to be. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome. And yet somehow along the way, listen, the Levites, they misstepped. They blew it. They got caught up with Simeon. Their sister was done dirty and they avenged it on their own. And I would even sit back and say, man, I don't blame them. They were taking care of family business. And yet Jacob said, you should have let that take care of itself. I was going to do it. You guys took it upon yourself. Now you're going to be blessed and dispersed. Now let's just continue moving through this because here we see this cursed group is still taken care of. And I believe that there's a reason why. I believe that as the Levites dealt with their own sin, their own mistakes, along with Simeon, who we studied him two weeks ago, I believe as the Levites saw that their own mistake and what they had done and that God had blessed them, but they had misstepped. And I don't even want to ask the question, but how many of you guys have been, been blessed by God in your life only to have made a mistake shortly thereafter and done things you wish you would have never done? And yet God's grace is sufficient for our needs. Years and years later, there would be another story. It's in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, the children of Israel, they do some silly things. Moses goes up to the Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And when he comes back down, you guys know the story. Aaron had been deceived and tricked into bad leadership. And he made some decisions, made a golden calf. And they worshipped it. And they got all crazy and paganized and carnal. And all these things happened. And great sin began to be committed in the camp of Israel. And when Moses came down, he was furious. 
And Moses said this, I'll read it to you. It's Exodus 32, verses 25 through 26. It says, Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, verse 26, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and he said, Whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi, everyone say Levi. All the sons of Levi gathered together with him. Stop right there, eyes up here. Interesting. A problem happened years after they were cursed. Man, you guys blew it. You took matters into your own hands. You didn't ask counsel. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. You did the right thing the wrong way. Have you ever done the right thing the wrong way? Eef. Careful. They did this. And yet years later, when Moses comes down the mountain, he sees that there's a need, and Moses asks a simple question. Hey, who's with the Lord? Show up right now. And only, for some reason, I don't know. Only, I don't know why. Only the Levites came forward. Only the Levites walked up to Moses. Only the Levites showed up and said, we're with you, bro. We're with you. Now, the story gets dark. Right after that, Moses said, then deal with this. And the Bible says that the Levites pulled out their swords. The Bible says that the Levites went into all their camps, and listen, and they killed their brothers. 3,000 men died that day. It wouldn't have been easy. The men that they were killing in that moment in Exodus 32 and 33, were men that had dis disclosed themselves and were going crazy and worshiping pagan things and committing fornication, just rebelling, just going all the way crazy back. And God said, hey, that's not who we want to be. That's going to mess with us. This needs to be dealt with. This needs to be led through in the right way. And the Levites said, we'll do it. We'll come back to you, Lord, and we'll serve in this way. Now, I say that to say this. That wouldn't have been easy for the Levites. Wouldn't have been easy for anybody to stand true, to stand firm, to take care of business. And yet I believe because they did the next right thing after they had once done the wrong thing, that God's grace was sufficient for their needs. And so too in your life and in my life, when you've done the wrong thing, you need to get into the habit of just do the next right thing thing. What's the next right thing? Maybe you said something or did something you shouldn't have done. In that moment, repent, put down the thing, turn away from the thing, delete the thing, break up with the thing, walk away from the thing, whatever the thing is, and start doing the next right thing. And I promise you, listen, your bummer can be turned into a blessing. This is who our God is. This is what our God wants to do. This is what Jesus paid for. These Levites made a mistake, a tragic mistake, and Jacob said, you're cursed, you're gonna be scattered, and here indeed they're scattered. But God says, yeah, but you're gonna be taken care of. You're gonna be blessed. 48 cities given to you guys, every single one of you taken care of, every single one of you honored in the things of God. This is the radical grace of Jesus Christ. This is the one thing that changes everything. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ for those who have not done everything perfectly, but instead have done many things imperfectly. And the Lord says, that's the message of salvation. That's what you need to understand for yourself. And that's what you need to tell the people you're working with and the people you're living with and the people that are struggling around you. Hey, are you with the Lord or not? I don't know. Kind of seems messed up right now. I look at my history, I'm like, I haven't always been perfect. I feel hypocritical in this moment, taking a step. But yes, I'll take my sword, the word of God, 
and I'll do what God asks me to do. And I'll move forward in blessing. Even though you have a blunder, even though you have bad days, God says, give those bad days to me and I will heal you. Don't quit moving forward. You ever tried to quit moving forward? You ever just go all Eeyore? Just, man, just, it's too bad. It's too late, you know. He's just Eeyore. The Lord won't let you go. He won't let you go. He loves you too much. I got three kids, and every once in a while, they'll go all Eeyore on me. Something goes bad. Something's hard. Something's difficult. And as their dad, I'm, I'm, I'm the best dad I can be. I'm the most committed dad I can possibly be. And I commit myself to their continued maturation, their continued development. I don't let them go. Oh, did you fall off your bike? You're getting back up. Did you fail in that Lego building thing years and years ago? We're going to keep moving forward. Did you come up short in that test? Did you come up short in that project? That's okay. I know what it's like. And as their dad, I'm full of a history bank of failures and coming up short. And I can understand and empathize with them. So too, our high priest, our savior, Jesus Christ, knows what it's like to be tempted in all ways. And yet he, without sin, resisted that temptation. But he knows what it's like. What are you going through right now? Wouldn't it be radical if every single person at South Beach Church, everyone watching online, everyone tuning in somewhere else, every single person said, yeah, I got a history of problems but I'm going to do the next right thing. I'm going to do the next right thing. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to trust the process. Lord, would you give me? They were so bold to say, Lord, where's our inheritance? Yeah, glad you brought that up. 48 cities are given to them. Now, how do we know God's going to be faithful? How do we know God's going to finish the work he began? Look at the last verses of this chapter. Evidently, we're not getting to chapter 22. Sorry, not sorry. Verse 43. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers and they took possession of it. They dwelt in it, and the Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them, and the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Our greatest confidence that we have is not in ourselves. It's not in this church. It's in God and his word and what he has declared to do and what he will still do. He is for you and not against you. The best is yet to come, and he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And what he wants for you and wants for me today is to rise up right where you're at. Plead your case. Lord, I've done something wrong. Oh, Lord, it all went sour. It all went south. Lord, but I'm owning my stuff and I'm going to freely forgive, and I need free forgiveness. Lord, is there any fellowship? Is there any city of refuge for me? And the Lord says, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest for your souls. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Our world is so broken right now. I'm going to have the worship team come up, and we're going to respond by worshiping him today, and we're going to respond by praying. And our world today is so in need of God's grace and mercy and healing, of God's light and his love. Everybody has been bitten by this cancel culture idea that if you offend me, we're done. That if you offend me, there's no more moving forward. That if I find myself let down or offended in these ways that I don't know how to forgive, and the gospel says, let's be better than that. Let's speak life. And I want to say this to you who are here this morning who are stuck right now for whatever reason. 
It's one of two reasons. You've either done something so bad, so repetitive, so constant, that you've bought into the lie that that's who you are. There's no moving forward for you. That there's nothing that God can do to change you. And you've bought into this lie that God can't fix you, that God can't take you and change you. Or it's not something that you've done, but somebody's done something to you. And the enemy's trapped you. The enemy's shackled you. Your pain is real. It's unintentional, but it's real. And the Lord would say to you, I need you to trust me. I see all and I know all. Would you give that to me? Whether it's an offense that you've committed or an offense that's been committed to you, would you just give it to me? And would you trust me? Come to the city of refuge. Confess your sins. Come near to the high priest. Trust in his death. Trust in God's word. Before we sing this song, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna ask you to consider, do you need that, that being set free? If you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ here this morning, you're a believer. And God has called you to walk into a world that as we just saw in our text today, needs cities of refuge. It doesn't need Walmart super centers and mega malls. It needs refuge. I'm not going to stand up on this stage today and lie to you and tell you that it's going to be easy moving forward. It's not. It's not going to be easy. But Jesus looks to you and says, would you trust me? Would you love radically? Would you forgive deeply? Would you serve wholly? Would you give yourself over in these ways to your spouse, to your community, to your coworkers, to the ministry that I've called you to? You can trust me. I know how to make all things right. What I need you to do is do the next right thing. If you know that you are stuck in any one of these areas, you know that God has called you, but you just don't know how to forgive. You don't know how to forgive yourself or you don't know how to forgive somebody else. You just don't know how to do it, but you know you want to do it. And you're willing to trust the high priest. You're willing to trust God for that. Say, Lord, yes, set me free. Make me love. Make me confident, Lord, in you. Maybe you believe these things intellectually. I believe, I believe, Lord, would you help my unbelief? Like the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. Maybe you just need an increase of your faith an enlarging of your shield. You would mount up with wings like eagles and run and not grow weary. Walking, you would not faint. What I'm going to ask you to do during this time of worship is to come forward to the altar by way of confession to the Lord, to receive grace in time of need, to receive mercy. As a matter of fact, would you all just stand with me right now? Let's all stand as we prepare to sing this song. We're going to worship the Lord together. And if you need that prayer, you need that covering right now. You need God to break those bondages, to strengthen the things that remain. Would you just come forward right now to the altar? Just walk down here and worship the Lord up front here. Surround the front. And just say, yes, Lord, I need you to set me free from the sins that I've committed or the sins that have been committed against me, Lord. I'm stuck right now, and I want to be free. Run to the city of refuge right now. And I thank you, Jesus. Would you meet us and embolden us and strengthen us? Set us free. Right now, if your heart's beating, you're thinking to yourself, man, I, I got to go. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's you. You got to go. 
run to the city of refuge. Run to your Savior, Jesus Christ. Just come up for Stand in the aisle. Do something for Jesus. He'll see your heart. He knows all things. Lord, would you receive our praise now? Would you receive, Lord, our action steps as we step out? And would you, Lord, do what only you can do? Increase our faith, Lord. Set us free. We worship you in spirit and in truth. Let's sing together and worship the Lord. Come forward and receive prayer at this time if you need.